podcast about friendship. Today's episode is all about connecting with friends over spirituality. We have an amazing chat with two friends and comedians who really bonded through their exploration of their spirituality and through meditation. I will say this episode is amazing. I think one, because everyone is very open and honest and vulnerable and just the emotional maturity level, I will say is very high. This episode is also great if you have ever thought about meditation or spirituality or Buddhism. If it's something that interests you, I think this is a great introduction to the topic. Everyone's just very knowledgeable. And also their friendship is just so special because they share this spiritual connection. It's very soulful and moving. But first, I chat with my co-host this episode. She's a writer that's been published in McSweeney's, Rebel Society, so much more. And keep an eye out for her upcoming memoir, Mama Matrix Most Mysterious. Thank you for joining me this week. Yay! Miss Patton Quinn. Carrie Lindo. <laughs> <laughs> I, I met you I, a long time ago at the very wonderful No Shame. The first time I ever saw you, I believe you were doing your character, Camel Totina. Oh, that was, I was doing Camel Totina the first time you saw me? I think, I'm pretty, yeah, I'm pretty sure you were. I fell in love. I needed to be your friend. <laughs> thought you were amazing. Probably was jealous of you too. Wanted all those <laughs> things. And I don't even know. I guess maybe I just went up to talk to you after. Well, I know. I remember because you did this thing where you went through the paper um, and read the horoscope for every day and then what actually happened in your life. <laughs> and it was so cute and adorable and funny. And I was the same. I was like, that's that girl. Her. I'm going to be friends with. Because I wasn't really doing stand-up yet. Um, no. But I didn't do stand-up for very long. I think we talked that night and I was thinking about this. Did we go to that 1920s club after? We did. <laughs> so began our friendship. But you've always written a lot too. Mm -hmm. I was you're you're always such a good writer. So oh, thanks. What are you working on these days? Um, well, I just finished this manuscript. That's a a memoir that is about. It's like an examination of my relationships, intimacy, love, pleasure, desire. So it's not that funny because there's a lot of, I mean, parts of it are funny, but it's like, I mean, you know what happened with Kevin, um, mm -hmm. which for the podcast listeners was, is my ex-husband, my baby daddy. And he started doing meth gambling and I don't know, hanging out with prostitutes when I was pregnant. So I left him obviously. Mm -hmm. So ever since then, after my divorce, I just thought I need to examine like my idea of what is family and what is love and what is marriage. And I've, that's what my book is about basically is going through each relationship, everything that happened. Cause I think a lot of it was, I ended up with Kevin after a string of bad relationships because of sexual trauma, really, to be honest. And mm -hmm. so I don't even, at this point I'm like, do I want to publish it? But I think people could benefit from it. I think for sure. Yeah. Definitely. I know you're writing enough to say it'll definitely be entertaining interesting right. and helpful all those yeah. relatable i mean you know there's there's things people experience and hearing somebody else say it is helpful yeah that's that's true i'm i'm glad to see you on your feet and without any of those men yeah i had some pretty bad years there 
<laughs> and actually, I did want to thank you because, so do you remember when things were like not good with Ryan? Yeah. And I was using drugs a lot of them. I do. Yeah. So, and that one night I was on the street and you let me stay at your house and like I had nowhere else to go. And I felt so bad because you were the only one who would like let me sleep at their house at that point. And I was, Aww. I didn't want to like stay there. Because I knew, I'm starting to cry. Because I knew if I did, I would like no. fuck you over and I didn't want to do that. <laughs> so Aww. anyway, it just meant- I mean, I remember it just being, a, I wanted to help you, but I knew there was only so much I could do. Yeah. Yeah. I knew you had a good, you know, I think I talked to your mom once. I knew you had a good family. Yeah. But I really, it meant a lot to me because. I think I always felt like I should be doing more as a codependent. Right, right, right. <laughs> but that I, you can't, I couldn't you do, can't. you know, I mean. Well, and I knew that if I let you, it would just end up the way the other things were ending up. You know, I mean, I, you know, it's, I don't, I don't want to get too into it, but I think I, you know, I pretty much imploded that whole relationship. So I just didn't want to do that again to my other relationships. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know. I think I also always had faith in you that you would get through it, even if I didn't know how. Thank I figured you. I just knew you had been through, already been through a lot. And Yeah, right. What do you think really got you out of all of that? Having Edith Ann. I mean, I was out of it when I was with Kevin. Like, I was sort of maintaining. Yeah. I wasn't, it wasn't like when I was um, before. I wasn't, an, you know, living like an addict lifestyle, but I was in an abusive relationship. So it was still really just toxic, unhealthy dynamic in my life. And um, so, yeah, having my kid basically just saved my life. And I'm glad, Kevin, I'm actually glad that he did that because it would just, I could do it on my own. I don't, I I don't, I don't, now I'm not weighed down by other people. And I really needed like the space to figure out like what I wanted and in a partner. Yeah. I'm very proud of you. Thank you. Edith Ann is a great little kid. She's great. This is, I feel like, a good segue, though, because we're going to be talking to two comedians about their friendship and their connection over meditation. So let's talk about your history with meditation and spirituality in general. So I've been, I guess, oh, man, this should be my next book because I have a lot, to say, <laughs> a lot to say about it. I think for me, art has always been my spirituality whether, you know, it's visual art or doing comedy or writing, it's just always, I just feel like a connection to my true self or to the, to the source. Then, you know, with my mental health stuff and having manic tendencies, I felt mystical stuff during those times. And, mm-hmm. and so I think that there's a lot of people who are like, I don't, I don't get it. Like, I don't understand what that feels like. And I'm like, I, it just, it's part of, I get it. I, I don't know. I can't mm-hmm. explain it. It's not, it's something that just comes to me. It's not something I really worked at that feeling of like oneness or just, you know, Mm -hmm. then I guess I started doing yoga and that's what really was my first practice meditation. But to be honest, meditation is hard for me because it's triggering just because um, of being of stillness and being trapped is, is, Mm -hmm. is for sexual abuse survivors. Really it's hard for us. And I think, no, it's really interesting. Yeah, and I think some people want to fight it, and that's great for them, and 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 learn how to meditate and be still and like conquer it that way. But for me, it's just the path of least resistance. For me, is finding a meditative quality in everything that I do. Yeah, whether it's you know my parenting or 
washing the dishes. I mean, I, I try to, I try to find ways to be my, I don't know, mindful maybe isn't the right word, but just make life a, a practice or a, a creative act. And I think I have one more. Th- oh yeah. But now that I've gotten on the correct medication, I will say that sitting meditation is now a little easier. How often would you try to do sitting meditation? Um, you know, I, I really go in spurts with it. So I'll do, yeah. I'll do it. But usually when I do it, it's a guided one and it's, I'll do like a meta meditation, which is like a loving kindness meditation. Ooh. So it's you um, imagine someone, you know, that you love, like my, my daughter, and then you're, you know, send love to her. And then you, you imagine you think about someone in your life that this is an acquaintance, like the cashier that you see every day or whatever, you know, you think about them and send them love. And then you think about people that you hate. Like I did it for Mitch McConnell. so it's just like trying to it's like compassion meditation rather than a watch your breath yeah yeah i want to try that i haven't really i mean i feel like i've done like yoga or like some guided yoga hybrid meditation type thing or or like apps i've done a little bit right say the name of it again i'm gonna try metta and there's actually a couple i listened to a buddhist to a few buddhist podcasts one of them is Tara Brock, and then another is Joan Halifax. She has some guided meta meditations online that, like on YouTube, that are pretty good. Mm-hmm. Have you ever bonded with someone over meditation? Mm-hmm. Or here's a, here's a different question: Do you have any specific memory of a time you were meditating and it felt really great after? Kind of combining those questions, though, I do remember I was when I did the yoga teacher training. I don't know what they call it, eye contact medica- meditation. Oh, I have heard of that. I've had friends, like couple therapists, tell them to do it. Yeah, you sit and you do, you know, eye, eye contact, gazing into each other's eyes. I just did it with a girl that a friend of mine that was doing yoga teacher training with. Yeah, like five minutes. It was really powerful. Wow. I mean, it always sounds like really intense. Something I'd love and be uncomfortable by. It's so uncomfortable. Yeah, five minutes is so long. <laughs> I do have two a little group I do since the pandemic. I started doing yoga with, and we teach each other yoga in the park. Ooh. And it's my friend Danny. She's see, you should move back here. I know <laughs> she's in a band that's I really like. I'll go. I'll stay out late for their band. And um, Justin, and they're just they just do yoga too. And so we when the because the yoga studios were closed, so. Like, let's just go to the park and stay six feet away from each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what you, I mean, I feel like a lot of friendship activities move to the park, yeah. you know, yeah. <laughs> like, because well, they had to. And now we're like, don't really want to go back to yeah. in the classroom. We, we kind of like form this deep bond that's like, that makes the classroom yoga feel so cold and competitive. Yeah. And now it's time to welcome our guests today. They're both comedians based out of San Francisco. They're super funny. Christy Ono and Daya Lakshminarayanan. Christy is the co-host of the Mental Health Comedy Hour in San Francisco. You can also check her out debating on the podcast Nerd Rage, The Great Debate. Daya, you've heard on The Moth. You've heard on Snap Judgment. She has a freaking Emmy. Welcome, Christy and Daya. Thank you for joining us here on Friendship Club. Let's start at the beginning. How did you two meet? Doing stand-up. I mean, most likely at 
the brainwash laundromat bar and grill. There was <laughs> there was this laundromat that also had a little countertop that served food, and there were like so many open mics there. It had I just I don't know. I feel like that's where I met most of the people early on in stand up, and so we've known each other for like over ten years, I think, at this point, right? Yeah, it's it's been like a decade plus. I don't know exactly where we met <laughs> because. The brainwash is also a little bit frightening. It used to be in a neighborhood mm-hmm. that was a little bit rough. Mm-hmm. It was a it was a laundry mat a laundromat that was open to all, which meant that there were a lot of people that had different kinds of challenges. <laughs> so one time, I'm I'm being very very California now. One time in the middle of my set, a fight broke out between, uh, I'm trying to say this in a kind way, person experiencing crack addiction. And they were fighting with a very petite woman server with a bunch of tattoos. So as I was like telling my jokes, like, so then I went on the date and then, and then they're like yelling at each other and fighting. And, uh, and then I just stood on stage because I was very new to comedy. I didn't know if I should allow them to finish or <laughs> if they were going to take it outside or if I should comment on it. And there's someone who uh, used to host, host that call, the brainwash called Tony Sparks. He's the godfather of Bay Area comedy. Ali Wong writes about him in her book. Mm-hmm. Tony Sparks is very supportive and he's like, Hey, baby, you just take another four or five minutes because those crackheads fucked your shit up. <laughs> and I was like, oh, thank you, Tony. <laughs> and uh, and then I was scared to go to that open mic after that. But yeah, I think that that's where Christy and I met, not on that particular night, but you can see why I would erase some of those memories. <laughs> and see why um, making a friend is important. Safety in numbers. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yes, definitely. Was it an instant connection? Did you have like a friendship that kind of slowly built? I always thought Christy was funny. I always liked her. When you're first starting in stand-up, it all feels so rough. Like you just, I don't even want to be at the brainwash longer than my three to five minutes. So I I would often leave after my sets. Christy and I just did so many shows. And then once we started talking about other stuff besides comedy, then our friendship deepened because we had other interests in common besides just comedy. And I think that's what happens in stand-up. Just talking about stand-up is so tiring. And later on, as you evolve and it doesn't feel so rough and difficult, then you can ease into having friendships with people. At least that that's my experience because, man, those early days are so rough. You're like, I just want to go home, take a shower and cry and throw out all my material. (laughs) I don't know. I think I had a different experience just because like when I got started, I definitely tried to find as many other women that were, you know, uh, going to open mics and doing stand up and doing the thing that I wanted to do. And that, you know, there is safety in numbers. And I remember meeting Kara first and she had... (laughs) mentioned headshots and she talked about Daya and how she took great headshots but she always looked like a princess and (laughs) I remember that that was my first introduction to Daya before I think meeting you but you agreed I think Daya is so funny I've always thought that she was funny and I really come to appreciate the other things that we have in common and that we've been able to grow a friendship outside of this kind of like coworker feeling vibe of just two people who all, who both do stand up. 
I feel Christie's bring up an important point because I was traveling recently and I double masked and I wore a face shield and I sent that picture to my mom and she goes, you look like a princess. So I think maybe I just look like a princess all the time, regardless if I'm showing any of my features or not. Resting princess face. I really think. Daya, that there was like a literal picture with you in a pink dress and a tiara, if I'm not mistaken, somewhere in your your headshot history. So I think that's what like, we were talking about. Term good witch. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those Glenda vibes. Have you guys collaborated on anything in comedy or in performance? We've done many, many shows together. Christy hosts this thing with her co-producer called the Mental Health Comedy Hour. And during uh, the pandemic, I attended a few of those and they were really, really good because it's an honest discussion about mental health as well as funny comedians and then like some kind of professional expert. So I've really enjoyed coming to see Christy work during the pandemic but I don't know the last show that we were on together. It, it's not that important to me anymore that we don't get to do shows together because we see each other on Zoom. And before that, we were seeing each other IRL. Do you remember early in your friendship, some of the things, non-comedy things you bonded over? We literally started talking about meditation pretty quickly, I think. I don't know how it came up, but we came at it through different paths. That's what I remember. Yeah. I can't remember when we first started talking about it, but we definitely, once we realized that we had that in common, we started to plan touring all of the different meditation groups in the city and <laughs> just exploring the different styles and disciplines that are out there. Because like in San Francisco in the before times, um, <laughs> there were a lot of different meditation groups and Diet made this spreadsheet of like every week which meditation was when and and we really did. We went to a lot of different groups all over the city. Any strange highlights from some of your groups? Were any of them kind of out there? Yes. First of all, uh, I know Christine is somewhat <laughs> into astrology. So uh, when she logged in early to this podcast, I go, that's such a Virgo thing to do. And I don't know that much about astrology. She goes, no, that's actually a good stereotype. I feel I'm not a Virgo at all, but I making that spreadsheet seems like a very Virgo thing. So I think that's why Christy remembered that. But I literally was like, I am very type A and I must make a spreadsheet about our meditations so we can track which ones we go to on which nights and we can assign them a numerical score if needed. One of the highlights slash lowlights was Christy was almost abducted into some kind of MLM or cult, but I don't know if she feels comfortable <laughs> talking about that. I mean, when you asked if there was any weird experiences, I was definitely going to bring this up. Oh, good. Um, I love that Daya says I was almost abducted, as if some person tried to take my physical body and take me somewhere. Um, but what actually happened <laughs> is we went to this kind of, I would say, like a little bit far out meditation group, and there had been, it was kind of like, franchisee all over the city there were a bunch of different locations they had in different neighborhoods and we went to one that was in my neighborhood and we ran into this person that i had known from the past and i'll just leave it at that more descriptors, <laughs> but it was this person that i knew that we actually both knew i got a facebook message after we got home from the meditation 
inviting me <laughs> or letting me know about this hip thing that this person was into and they got to travel and do all this stuff and they and you just had to do this one thing and I was like oh no buddy I think this is a pyramid scheme and that's kind of where the conversation on Facebook ended mm. <laughs> it got a little uncomfortable but yeah that was that was I think the weirdest thing there was a lot of music in that meditation group which was not something I was used to we're talking drums yeah. we're talking drum it circle mildly sinister <laughs> tone to it <laughs> it was no it was like a weird vibe music like like a like a it was in a didgeridoo of energy I've, I've encountered that crystal bowls because i like that sound bathing it was not quite sound yeah bathing though it was kind of this like trance uh like electronica music it was supposed oh, to be like no oh, okay um i want to say like the kind of like binaural beats i don't know if that's how you say it. Yeah. i've only read that word anyway i was it was kind of like that it was supposed to like open chakras and stuff but it was just really kind of weird it, like yeah. if you've never done that kind of meditation to just jump into it all of a sudden yeah and, and there were like some kind of like elements to it that seemed ritualized in a way that it was mm -hmm. like uh, a little off-putting like you know one person recommended that you do a complete cleansing of all your walls and do you remember this like wipe down <laughs> your walls and uh mm -hmm. and then the meditation will be better or something i'm like what what is this this is not even meditation this is this is some kind of task rabbiting myself and i didn't <laughs> like it. it was and also to christy's credit She's always been the nicer one in, in our friendship, I believe. <laughs> like people are more drawn to her. I still carry the same energy of I need to leave this open mic uh, and go home and shower. Uh, so I think that's why she was approached for this scheme and not me. I just have an um, abduct me face, I guess. <laughs> we got a princess face and an abduct me face. That's pretty accurate. Yes. I actually, actually, yeah. <laughs> What were some of the highlights of the groups you went to? You know, we we did so much different exploration. Like there's Zen, there's Insight, there's the Buddhist Church of San Francisco, which Christy introduced me to, even though it's three blocks from my apartment. I had never gone there before. So there were, I would, I would have to say, because Christy introduced me to the Buddhist Church of San Francisco, I don't want to put her too much on the spot, but I have to say that was one of my highlights because... Not only did they have this adorable reverend guy who's not an uptight reverend guy, he's like talking about LGBTQ stuff, revolution, and Buddhism as like a way to create social impact and change. And then after all that, you go into the kitchen and they served all these snacks. It was amazing because mm. I was trying to do a juice cleanse because everyone else told me that they were doing one. And I'm very <laughs> susceptible to that kind of health pressure. But then as soon as these snacks were out, I decided to break the juice cleanse. And there were like rice crackers and mochi things and all you can drink tea and and nobody cared, like orange, like you, you could just eat as many snacks as you wanted to while talking about Buddhism. And it was very inviting. So I I like that a lot. You're speaking my language. 
You know what? They could have abducted me because, but they're not like that. They're very open and they're caring and compassionate and sweet. But if someone wanted to, they would just have to put food in front of me and then I would be susceptible. There was when I was really broke in my early 20s, I would go to the Hare Krishna temple. This was in Portland and they would make these great vegetarian dinners for people who wanted them, but you had to kind of sit through the lecture beforehand and the boyfriend, the guy I was with at the time had always argued, <laughs> always got into an argument. And I was always like, just sit down. I'm hungry. Please. <laughs> this feels like a timeshare for God. Like it's like God doesn't want to keep you from eating. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I do have to say like most of the experiences were pretty good. You know, we've attended several of them and we just learn different things. But mostly we settled into kind of a routine where we would just pick a day that we were free and then we would find a meditation that corresponded with our schedule. And we eliminated the ones that weren't our favorites and we would go to the ones that were good. And sometimes every once in a while, we'd wander into one that was a little bit too not to our liking. Like there's one, I'm I'm exaggerating, but one of them was like, um, what is the statistics of the Buddhist experience? And, uh, and I'm, I'm a programmer and I'd like to understand. And I was like, calm down. Like you're too, too much. And I think we walked out of that meditation. Like we were, we rage quit a Buddhist meditation. <laughs> I just want to say what a great friendship to have, to meet a friend and to have someone to explore new, not just something new, but something new that's spiritual, which can be vulnerable to get into something with. And and I think a lot of people are interested in, but then don't pursue. Just commenting that that's a beautiful thing you two share. I think also I have to give a lot of credit to Christy. Christy is a very open person. And despite being a Virgo, I find her judgmentally free. So she is judgmental about things like we have to be on time or we have to keep the space clean or whatever Virgos do. But in terms of human foibles, you know, sharing things that are difficult or painful or confusing, which you have to do in any kind of spiritual practice, Christy's pretty open to hearing whatever. If I'm like, you know, hey, I want to have more snacks at the Buddhist church, she's not going to be embarrassed. (laughs) Or if I'm like, I don't, I can't stand these people, let's go. She'd be like, okay, yeah, I support that decision, but let's talk about what it means to be, to have aversion towards others. And I'm like, yeah, that's that's a good practice right there. I do think that Christy is is open-minded in that sense and easy to have a spiritual friendship with. Oh, that's so sweet, Daya. So flattering. Um, she's really painting a much more, I don't know, generous <laughs> picture of me. Which any good friend should do. <laughs> I know. She's making me look real good. I, I think it is a very special friendship that we have because... I mean, I'm just going to out her like Daya's a Pisces and she is actually a very deeply spiritual person. (laughs) And it is a very vulnerable thing to share with somebody. And so we each had our own backgrounds and experiences in our various spiritual practices. And we happen to just connect on meditation. And it has been so helpful. I mean, especially during the pandemic, we've really been able to connect regularly with each other through the spiritual practice. And I I know that I've found it to be a really good foundation through a pretty wild time. It's nice to know that it translates over like 
the internet. Yeah. Also, too, I was I wanted to comment that, and especially in the comedy world, it's not easy to make friends that's not based on drinking. It, I know that when I I don't I used to do a lot more. I don't do comedy anymore. I just mostly write. But when I was in that com- community, it just was seemed to be centered around drinking, which is fun, but it's not it's not spiritual. It's not as bonding as like something that like this, and th- this will like really carry a friendship. Yeah, I mean. I am not, uh, I, I have to say, I have had alcohol in the past and maybe, you know, once a year I'll have some alcohol, but I'm not really a drinker. I did leave a lot of mics and shows and things early because I, it just was not my thing. For some people, it's performance enhancing. But for me, if I'm delayed by 10 seconds, my set will fall apart. Um, I really went hard into drinking <laughs> early in stand-up <laughs> and had a great time. Uh, also got into so much trouble that I quit drinking. Uh, I quit dr- yeah. doing all of that kind of stuff. You know, like as a as a sober person, like I do look for activities and friends to share in those activities that do not involve drinking. And so it was also like serendipitous <laughs> to connect with Daya over meditation because like, hey, we're both trying to be better people. <laughs> Let's talk about how it's been for your friendship during pandemic. Did you guys get to see each other at all during the pandemic? Like little outdoor hangs or? No, only only mm-hmm. on Zoom. No. Most of it has been virtual. I'm I'm doing some outdoor shows. I'm doing some limited indoor shows, but I haven't run into Christy at any shows. So it's good that we have a different basis for our friendship because if it were just comedy dependent, I wouldn't see Christy. So we have other things that we do. So at the beginning of the pandemic, we found this course, this Buddhist course to take. And it's all about using anger in a Buddhist way, which really resonated because around that time, George Floyd had been murdered. There was a lot of anger that we were both feeling around injustice, police brutality. This was still during the Trump years. That The pandemic, plus all the anger, plus no outlet, it was really hard mm-hmm. to really digest that information. And it was causing grief and suffering. So the course was about anger, but I just kept calling it you mad bro. And uh, I just called you mad. Christy never corrects me. She always goes, yeah, yeah. you mad bro is right. I mean, it really was a little bit more fun than the actual title of the course. I've always appreciated Daya's activism and political what is it? Political bits? <laughs> that sounds so crazy. Uh, but she's able to use humor and align it with her beliefs and values and politics in such a fun way. And so it was nice to be able to get a little bit more insight um, and any Buddhist and meditation framework to be able to talk about these things. Um, not that I would be scared of talking to, about these things with Daya, but it was really helpful to have the structure and for us to have planned to meet. I think we were meeting weekly at that point. And it's nice to kind of have homework. You know, we were all locked inside and (laughs) could not leave and had nothing to do. It was nice to have something to focus on. And I really got a lot out of it too. I think about so many of the, like the Dharma talks and the discussion questions from that course. 
who did the course? It was a series of, of Buddhist practitioners, like LGBTQ pr- practitioners, BIPOC practitioners. So one of the people was, he's a queer Black Buddhist scholar named... I know who you're talking about. What's his name? Lama Rod Owens. Lama Rod. Yes. Yeah. He's amazing. Yeah. I heard Joan Halifax interview him on her podcast. Wow. I think it was on her. But anyway, it was a beautiful talk. And I just, everything he said, I was like, yes, yes, yes. And he talked a lot about trauma, which is like, it just is so important. And I'm glad to hear people in in the spiritual community integrating that. Yeah, because I think there's a misperception that Buddhists are all like, you know, blissed out and we don't feel any emotions and we kind of go through life being like, yeah, it's cool, man. (laughs) There's many Buddhist activists who are deeply hurt and sometimes angry about climate change, about racial injustices. Um, Christy and I are both Asian, and I would say mostly for the East Asian and Southeast Asian population, we've been seeing an increase of hate crimes. So we discussed that in our friendship and in our spiritual practice, because we just felt so much powerlessness Mm -hmm. when we were locked inside and we couldn't do anything. And we're just upset. And we're like, what can we do? How do we deal with all this crap inside of us? And I, I think Christy brings up a good point. Comedy is a great way to put all that out there in like a funny joke format. And ranting Mm -hmm. and yelling on stage is great. And it's cathartic in a way, but there's kind of a loop. You just come back home and those feelings are still there. So you Mm -hmm. have to be able to do something with those feelings of anger or injustice or feeling like you don't have a place in society or America or whatever. And you have to have something so that you can go on stage and do those things or else after a while, being on stage doesn't feel satisfying anymore. Then you spiral. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I also think that like comedy is such a great way to express one's like deeply held personal beliefs. And there is a way to make anger funny and to kind of process it. But like if it's coming from a place that you don't fully understand, it could be very dangerous Mm -hmm. and harmful. And I think being able to bring some awareness to to these kind of feelings that are like could be really volatile or could be very harmful is just kind of a responsible thing to do before just ranting and raving on stage. Right. So it comes from an informed place rather than just firing all over If I could make every open minder take a Buddhist anger course, the world would be a better place. The world would be a better place. Twitter would be a better place. <laughs> Can I ask you a, a question, Christy? It's a little bit of a diversion. I was thinking about um, your the mental health show that you do. And mm-hmm. um, I actually, Carrie and I talked a little before beforehand, and I was telling her that for me, meditation is, sitting meditation is not, It doesn't work because I get triggered from sexual trauma because being still is like being trapped and it just, sure I don't like it. So I do, I do a lot of other things. I do yoga and I've just accepted that like, it's just, that's just not the form for me. But do Mm -hmm. you, I was just wondering if you have heard of other women or or men or whoever, you know, that have aversions to sitting meditation because of trauma or or, or you know, you you've you've heard of other ways to deal to to meditate with when you have those issues. Yeah. So 
I am a depressed and anxious person. So sitting still is just the worst. It is like, I, I just can't do it. And like, even, even when we were meditating in person, I'd be the one kind of moving a little bit, like twitching here and there. <laughs> I knew I was pissing everybody off because I just can't be still. It's gotten a lot better with practice, but I prefer things like yoga and walking meditations. And when you get really deep into the practice or Buddhism, like you can do anything mindfully. So as long as you are, you have a focal point, it's usually the breath, right? You Anything can become meditation. So when I'm at work, uh, I focus on my breath as much as possible because it's it's kind of a customer service capacity. So people don't <laughs> maybe approach me in the kindest ways or in the ways that I'd like them to. So I take a lot of moments to just take a deep breath. And for me, that counts as meditation. And it really helps ground me or center me. Like those are two very specific ways of like coming back to yourself. And it kind of like depends a little bit on astrology. Like if you... <laughs> are like an air or fiery person. Listen, there's a whole other podcast I get all this stuff from. But anyway, if you're like an air or fire person, grounding is not the easiest thing to do. So for someone like me, <laughs> I focus on centering myself. And so that's just always like bringing myself back to the breath in any way. I've never really talked to people about like specifically trauma. I think it's just kind of a hard topic to to broach with people. But like there are so many different ways you can meditate and become mindful and to really caretake yourself. That, that doesn't involve being still all the time because that fucking sucks. I know a lot of people are like, I don't like meditation because I don't like being still. Like mm-hmm. I can't do that. And that's not – there's other things you can do, buddy. Mm-hmm. I, you know, it's, it's – I think people have a, a genuine misunderstanding about what – For sure, yeah. Meditation is – yeah. We tried different styles and I do know that at the San Francisco Zen Center, there is more of a focus on form. So when you enter into the the meditation hall, you step in with your left foot, you don't cross the altar, you go around either clockwise or counterclockwise, I can't remember. And then when you sit, there's a special way of sitting, form is important. Back in the day in Zen practice, the you know, the the people, the you know, the masters would come by and like hit you with a bamboo stick if you weren't like <laughs> holding your posture right. But we live in Northern California, so most of the, <laughs> the the retreats that I've been to, there are people from all aspects. And so it's very ableist to force people to sit. So the meditation instructors that I've sat with, they're like, look, if you have back pain, if you can't sit, you can sit in a chair, you can use as many cushions as you want. If you need to lie down, lie down, but put your legs up so you don't fall asleep. Um, You know, do different things so that you can, the whole point is to not fall asleep. So if you're lying down, it's hard to meditate. (laughs) Um, If you're if you're doing other things to distract yourself, then that's not meditating. But take care of your body first, because without body, your mind can't focus. There's no one way to do it. There's people who use all sorts of props and all sorts of ways to sit, to be able to practice. And the other way of thinking of it is to really be compassionate with oneself, to be like, this is my body protecting me from trauma that I have experienced in the past. My body is being kind to me and looking out for me right now. So thank you. And to be really compassionate with yourself rather than I'm not doing it right, or this is not the right way. 
just to kind of like, oh, this is anxiety coming up. This is twitching. Or what does twitching feel like? Oh, what if I sat with this twitching for a while? At some point, you might have to pull back and be like, okay, at this point, I really, my heart is racing. I can't breathe. I have to take a break. And then it's completely okay in the meditations I've done to stand up for a while, to stand up with your eyes closed. Uh, So there's all sorts of ways that you can modify meditation. But the goal is, are you avoiding something? like yourself or your thoughts? Um, or is it real, real discomfort and be compassionate and adjust? Yeah, that's great. I like that. I wanted to ask, was it self-paced or was there, was it through, was it recordings or was it something live that you would have to do? Yeah, it was, it was self-paced. And I think there were readings and questions. So we would watch it and then plan to meet and then do the readings and then d- the discussions and stuff like that. Do both of you or either of you remember one aspect or maybe question or homework that you struggled with? I have one that actually Christy brought up in one of our sessions. But Christy, do you want to say what you were going to say first and then I'll... I I don't know that this is something that was difficult to me, but it is a question that was brought up in the course that I think about a lot now. It was Lama Rod. They were talking about nonviolent... I just, I think just nonviolence, a practice of pacifism in general. And he said that he wasn't nonviolent. And I was like, yeah, me neither. And it's been the the concept of like nonviolence and nonviolent, I guess, p- protest and activism has been on my mind a lot because, I mean, just because uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's everywhere. It's, it's important to think about. What was brought up is like, if someone is attacking me, I'm going to respond to defend myself. That may be violent, right? In, in self-defense. And it, it really made me think about what is nonviolence? What is the purpose of nonviolence? And in, in like my further exploration, and so much of like meditation is to just become curious and do these kind of investigation, like further investigations into these things, is that nonviolence has to have an audience. You know, mm. it is it is a public display. And so, you know, when people hide behind the idea of, you know, nonviolence and pacifism, it's it, it can be undermining to the struggles that people are trying to bring awareness to. And that's as far as I've gotten in my research so far. No. It's it stayed with me after the course. I still have a lot of thinking and research and, and personal investigation to do around that. I think it's something on a lot of people's minds too, with everything over the past, you know, mm-hmm. year and a half, is that topic about nonviolence. And- yeah. Yeah, I wanted to add to that because that we, Christy and I talked about the subject a lot. Our meditations are sometimes we listen to a talk, sometimes we do a lecture, sometimes we do homework or reading, and then we do sit. We sit on Zoom and it's kind of quiet. And sometimes it's good, sometimes it's, you know, I feel discombobulated, but we, we continue to sit. We did have to sit with this, which was around defending yourself fighting back. And one of the questions that came up was, you know, if someone is attacking your child or your mom or an elder or senior, and you push them so that you're neutralizing the harm they're creating, then that is considered wise action. But if in your heart, you're like, fuck this guy, I want him to suffer. I want him to eat dirt. Then you are creating violence for yourself. So it's the intention. So the, the the Dalai Lama was asked this question, like, you know, the trolley problem. If you knew this captain of the ship was going to yeah. crash the whole boat and kill everyone, 
would you put a bullet in his head? And the Dalai Lama was like, you know, if I could do it and detach from the outcome, what a terrible guy, I'm going to kill him and I'm going to be the hero and I'll save all these people. He said, if I could do it without attachment and I was truly thinking about the benefit of all, then yes. The questioner said, so you would do it? He goes, I just don't have it in me. <laughs> so some of us are conflict averse and some of us are conflict philic. Uh, I don't, I'm mixing different Latin and Greek. <laughs> but some people are like really get filled up by being like, I'm going to show that heckler. I'm going to get them. I'm going to do this. So the question that we ultimately talked about with violence was, is it okay to punch a Nazi? The, it comes back to, is the purpose to neutralize harm that this Nazi may inflict on lots and lots of people? Or are you taking pleasure? Is it ego-centered for you that you get to be the one that punches this guy? Or I'm saying guy, which is, you know, not respecting the Nazi's pronouns, but I think it's a guy. So, uh, but, <laughs> but, but as Buddhists, if our goal is, the liberation of all beings. If we, we wish that all beings are happy, all beings are free of suffering. In the Buddhist path is really, we hope that this person is free from suffering because the suffering is causing this person to be a Nazi. The suffering is causing this person to inflict suffering on others. So is punching going to decrease that suffering or increase their person, that person's Nazism? If you killed them, it would do finish the suffering. But if you punch them, it would probably increase the suffering. Right. And then would the killing inflict suffering on their family? Would the killing inflict suffering on you because you would be carrying the fact that you took a human life? You would go to jail and then your parents would be sad. And then that club you were supposed to headline, you're going to have to call and say, you can't come. Then they have to refund tickets. You're creating a, a cycle of suffering. So when I was doing yoga teacher training, you know, ahimsa is the the yogic sort of idea or, you know, phrase for nonviolence. And I remember they were talking about how like Iyengar said that even getting a massage is violence because your muscles aren't supposed to be moved that harshly. <laughs> so, I mean, I don't think that that's real violence, but I like whenever I think about nonviolence and violence, I think about like when I'm doing a practice, am I doing it, not just meditation, but any kind of practice, like, is there a violence in it? And sometimes I can just feel when I'm doing something and it's not pure. I don't know how, to, how else to explain it, but it, what you're talking about is a little bit different, but I thought I'd just add that to the conversation. What are you guys excited to do post-pandemic? I mean, question mark. What are you excited to do together in person? I have never gone to like a day retreat or a weekend retreat or anything like that. And I know Daya has. And so I have not shared this with her yet, but I would love to try that out. Again, as an anxious person, I do kind of get a little squirrely in situations where I know that like, I'm not going to be able to leave for like a whole day and I have to meditate. Once we are able to safely come together and do these kind of big group activities, like I think that's one of the things that I'd like to do. Christy, we should definitely do that together because there's, you know, Spirit Rock, we could rent a car, we could go up there. Mm -hmm. There's all this like Buddhist stuff available to us. I'm actually going on retreat tentatively in November. I'm doing a Vipassana five to seven day retreat that I signed up for that kept getting postponed. 
So I'm doing a retreat, but there's like ways to ease into it, like day long. And you don't just sit the whole time. You you do sitting meditation, walking meditation. You do cooking meditation because my job is always in the kitchen. So you do cleaning or cooking meditation, eating meditation where you eat mindfully. And the food is amazing. When I go on retreats, it's all vegetarian food, which I'm excited about. And the cooks are so good. It's delicious. I really do miss sitting with a group. And in, in Buddhism, it's called Sangha. And so... Sometimes what happens in Western spirituality is people are like, I go to my therapist, I sit in my room, I meditate, I do all these things on my own. It's very self, me, me, me. But how it is in the East is people serve meals to each other, or they sit in a group, or they meet small groups with their teachers, or if the monks come by, people fill their bowls with food. There's a real focus on serving the community and serving others and not just being like, I'm focusing on my self stuff in this bubble and I'm going to be a perfect person. Because as soon as you interact with someone, all that wise thought and action is gone. Like I was on a Buddhist retreat and I was afraid of a moth and I tried to kill it. <laughs> I mean, you can't just escape from being a human being. So you know, it's you, you have to have the group, you have to interact with people, you have to have conflict. And then from that, you learn how to be a better person on this path. And I do want to say, Christy and I did attempt to have a Buddhist podcast. And we tried it. And we had a live taping. <laughs> and this woman ran in, in the middle of the podcast, and started screaming. And then she left and there was this cloud of cannabis that we just all smelled through the whole <laughs> place that we were doing this meditation. And then um, I think Christy and I rang our bell and it was like, ding. And then we're like, let's sit with that person's aversion. Because she was like, this sucks. You are all terrible people. And like, it was the opposite of what we were trying to do. We could potentially bring that back at some point, Christy. Yeah. Yeah. We had someone who hated everything. Yell. <laughs> For anyone listening to this who is intrigued by these ideas, who wants to get into meditation, what's a good resource, maybe podcast or book or anything? If anyone, I mean, he, he, I'm, I'm pushing it a little bit, but if people ask you for money for Buddhism, you should try to say no to that because one of the purposes of Buddhism mm -hmm. is like, there's this idea called generosity, which is dana, And so generosity is giving. And you can give through service, you can give through money, but basically Dharma Seed, D-H-A-R-M-A-S-E-E-D, contains all of these talks by all these Buddhist practitioners, and they're completely free to the public. So Buddhism doesn't mean you have to pay, like, I just paid $12,000 for this elite Jerry Seinfeld Buddhist retreat. Like, you don't have to do the thing that costs so much money just because celebrities are talking about it. It's very accessible. Uh, if if you want to start there, that's the freest thing you can do. Uh, there's groups that meet on Zoom and Facebook Live. So if you just Google Insight Meditation, there's Insight Meditation centered all over and there's meditation groups that meet. Uh, but in terms of books, I would say Jack Cornfield has written some amazing books. The Dalai Lama has written some amazing books about neuroscience as well as Buddhism, about practice. But uh, try to get the free stuff because it, it shouldn't be like joining a cult where you have to pay a lot of money. This is information 
that's available freely to all people because the goal of Buddhists is that all people be free of their suffering. So if you're getting into debt, that's not suffering. That's not freedom <laughs> from suffering. Would say don't pay money. <laughs> um, if people are trying to like hustle you for money around this kind of stuff, like don't do it. But yeah, I, I would agree with Daya. Dharma Seed is a great resource. They have decades of talks and meditations available for free on their website. Um, I'm a big fan of Tara Brock. She has a free podcast. She also approaches it from like a psychological uh, standpoint, which is sometimes more accessible for me when I don't feel particularly spiritual. I can listen to a psychologist talk about how this is going to be good for me anyway. I also like the tricycle. It is an online publication, but it is behind a paywall. But you can get three free articles if, if, <laughs> if, if you're sneaky about it. And and don't forget free Tibet because that's the most important part of Buddhism. May all things be free, including the people of Tibet. Right, right, right. I I listen to Tara Brock sometimes too. I love her. I actually, and I don't I don't always like his podcasts. Pete Holmes, the comedian, he has one, but he's really into, I don't know about Buddhism, but spirituality, but he does have a lot of people on. He had Jack Kornfield on before, and he comes at it from a comedian's perspective. And so this is really just a recommendation for the other podcast listeners who maybe don't want to go all in. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a good like access point for people. Yeah. For sure. uh, Amy Miller and uh, Steve Hernandez have a podcast about spirituality, which is really good. They're really funny. Amy um, is super, super, super funny. Um, Steve is as well. I've been on their podcast discussing Buddhism, but they talk about all sorts of spiritual stuff and they're, they're funny as well. So I, if people want it with humor, that's something else I recommend. That's great. Well, thank you guys so much for being on the podcast. That was so good. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. I'm inspired. I'm going to explore more.